Night Movies with Robin Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, we want to bring a close... To our foreign animation series. Man, Zach, it feels like months since we talked about foreign animation, but it's just been a week. How crazy is that? I know, right? It, it feels like actually two and a half months, but it's only been a week. We, went we talked through a, about Cowboy Bebop. We went through a time warp or something, I swear. But we are we would like to bring this series to a close by taking you all to a very specific location. Neo Tokyo 2019. Jukeboxes still have the doors and cream on them. The Olympics are coming in a year. But not if some crazy alien figure has anything to say about it. I'm jumping right in, Zach. I want to get started. We are talking about 1988's Akira! Is that a good way to say it? Canada! (laughs) Oh, yes. So, oh, man. Animated film, foreign animated film, based on, loosely, based on a manga. I guess we'll get into that. Um, A well-known film. It gets a lot of respect. But something I had never seen until Zach proposed it. And yes, as we've been saying, as I think we've been saying, after this time warp we went through, um, this is really a Rob's Choice series. I've, uh, I've given Zach some good foreign animation. I gave him perfect hair forever, and he got really angry. And he proposed this. And I, uh, I'm, I'm really happy about it. So, Zach, thank you for proposing this Akira for us today. How did sure you find out about this? That's really my question. How did I find out about it? Well, my, one of my not to uh, get off topic, though, but one of my favorite memories while I was in college was uh, people would come to me and be like, you're into anime, right? And I'd look at them and be like, no, no, ew, no. And they'd be like, really? And I'm like, yes. And like, I thought the fourth time this happened, I said, seriously. What is going on right now? Because it happened over a sustained amount of time where it was like, it couldn't have been people in cahoots. But uh, <laughs> no, I've never been one for anime. My uh, The most I've ever dabbled in anime would be probably the original Yu-Gi-Oh! TV series. After that, I really don't have much interest in anime. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, if it's good, like Rob showed with Spirited Away, I can appreciate it. Nice. But most times it's just, uh, I, it's nothing I particularly care for. How I got, how I found out about Kira, it's one of those things I've been aware of forever. But it wasn't until I, again, once again, college, where there was a library in the on campus, and they had like a small collection of DVDs. And I always felt sorry for the DVDs because I figured nobody ever checked them out. <laughs> so like I would go through there just looking for things that I always want. And I figured like most of them were like brand new because nobody ever used them. And I figured, oh, I'm gonna sit like they'll, they'll play fine. That's one thing I hate about like getting like DVDs or any sort of media from the library. It's usually treated very poorly. And I saw Kira. I'm like, okay, because it was an A. It was like one of the first things I ever looked at. I'm like, okay, I've always wanted, I've always heard about Kira. Let me just watch this. And I watched it. And it was neat. It was something different. I I appreciate it for what much like uh, like many other things. I appreciate it for what it is, though. I do not think it's the the magnum opus, or at least I don't see it as the magnum opus of of all anime as many see it but i think it's pretty good i think it's one of those things that everybody should watch at least once considering it's probably if not the best of its oh god genre or medium it's it's pretty close to that you know i don't feel it's the pinnacle of it okay right on well i have to agree with you on that point that i don't think it's um 
a magnum opus by any standards, even in its kind of own field. It's great. I really liked it. Um, I watched it once before this. Uh, you know, in in I watched it once before the time warp we went through, and I kind of felt a little bored by it. But at the end, when stuff started to pick up, I was like, okay, I can kind of get behind at least what I think this movie is portraying to me. Uh, the second time I watched it for this recording, I was absolutely enthralled. I loved it. I was really into it. I didn't think it was boring at all, um, and it was great. But we'll get into that. I guess we'll get into that, how we feel about it. Um, do we want to give a, a plot synopsis or anything like that? Do we want to give, a, well, as much of what we can explain about the plot of this movie? Uh, okay, I'm going to do my best plot synopsis of this. Okay. Uh, it, this is, it takes place in Neo-Tokyo in what? Ni- what 2019. 2019. And you have, like, there's a lot of crime in Neo-Tokyo. There's gangs. There's just, also, it's a mess. And, okay, how do you describe this movie? Um, our main character is Kanada? Canada? I really think it's Canada. Like, Canada. It, it sounds like Canada, the country. <laughs> and, okay, God, how do you explain this? And he has a friend named Tetsuo, who, oh my God, how do you explain this movie? <laughs> how do you, how do you be, uh, he has a run-in with movie? a, he has a run-in with a Smurf, uh, and that gives him psychic powers. Does, but that, does that, okay, go through the plot summary first before I start questioning things. <laughs> Okay, okay. So, so yeah, uh, Canada, not the country. Uh, he has a friend named Tetsuo. Tetsuo, when they're in and Canada, not the country, uh, when they're on this kind of biker gang fight at the beginning, uh, Tetsuo gets kind of thrown away from his main group, and he runs into a Smurf. He's not as dark blue as, well, the Smurfs aren't dark blue, but this is a little lighter than a Smurf, I think. Um, and much more shriveling. Yeah, much more shrivelly. Basically, it's a little kid that looks like an old man, and he's got slightly blue skin. Uh, Tetsuo runs into this thing. The thing actually has a force field that's able to protect it. Tetsuo is really hurt. The government shows up, takes away everybody, and then kind of as we get in the story, Tetsuo begins to develop these these powers, these telekinetic abilities. Um, I... I guess I've kind of assumed in the two times I've watched it that that's the instance which grants him his powers, um, but but there's nothing really that states that. So is that how you see it? Do you see it? That's, some well, that's what I always thought. Like because I've seen the film three times. I saw it that initial time in college. I watched it again in the last few years, and I watched it today. And the first time I was okay with it. Second time I really enjoyed it. This time I almost fell asleep through it. Like oh, I I think I did fall asleep through it a couple of times. I had to go back and keep rewinding it. In my and we'll get to that in a moment, but um, no, going back to the film, I I always thought that's how he got his powers. Yeah, I yeah. I don't think he gets I, from watching the film and how they make it understood. It's it, like oh, Tetsuo had the power and it awakens the power in him. You're right. You're talking about the like the stuff at the end that's like possibly flashbacks of him in the in the uh you know research laboratories and stuff like that and yeah him with, okay yes yeah well we're jumping ahead <laughs> we're yeah. jumping ahead big time spoiler alert spoiler alert he might have had the powers since he was a kid <laughs> you're right zach is right okay well well i guess for the for the purposes of plot synopsis uh we think he gets his powers from that instant but really it's more of kind of a uh, a faded meeting you know something like that 
Yeah, something like that. Because it's one thing that's worth noting is that, like, how did you watch it? Did you watch it with the English dub or English Good subtitles? Question. Good question. I did English subtitles. Okay, this is the thing that was. First time I watched it, I went with the English subtitles. Second time I watched it with English dub. And that's okay. when I really loved it. And it was this third time I went back to the English subtitles, and I did not like I did not enjoy this that much. Okay. I, for, okay. I usually am one of these ones that believes in um, watch it in the, uh, the language it was designed in. Or originally recorded by the native country, and then just have the subtitles on. This is one where I think it's uh, much more. You can appre- I think it's, you can appreciate it much more by watching it in English dub. Even though I, it kind of kills me to say that. <laughs> okay. It's, it's I, I, that's why I feel at least. Okay. Well, yeah, I've never seen that one. Um, that, that's a good thing you bring up because I'm glad you've seen both versions or different versions because I've only seen you know the the subtitles that I have. And I, I know I've talked about it, but Zach cut it out of our Gremlins 2 episode when I run on a giant rant about subtitles. <laughs> um, so they're unreliable, to say, say the least. I thought so, that was a Fantastic Planet episode. No, that was Gremlins 2. Because I, I downloaded the Gremlins, like I actually got the Gremlins 2 subtitles file from someone that I trust, and they were still garbage. By download, you mean uh, legally obtained from a store for cash, right? Yes, I have the receipt. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, anyway, I'm, I'm glad we have that different perspective on this movie, that you've seen these both of these versions. And that's interesting that you feel so strongly about uh, the different kinds of versions. Um, but okay, yeah, so Kid may or may not have powers from the start, but he starts to develop the powers, and he can't control the powers. I would say that's that's kind of the gist of this movie. That's the yeah. body of this movie, is, uh, is uh, Tetsuo just losing his mind, losing his body, losing his shape. All that stuff. Where do we want to go next? Now that we got that plot out of the way. Is there anywhere to go next? <laughs> oh, I don't know where to begin with this movie. That might um, be the okay. most tangible thing. We, we've covered all the tangible aspects of this so far. <laughs> okay. Because um, I, I don't know. It's one of those movies that, like, it, how I learned about it, I don't know about Rob, was that, like, every, every, God, every three to four years, Hollywood threatens to do a live-action, like, remake of this. <laughs> yes, I much, love when this comes up. <laughs> much, much like Jerry Leto th- is, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, potentially, or we imagine him threatening to remake Fantastic Planet in live-action, <laughs> Hollywood actually threatens to remake this every few years. I think the last time Garrett he- Hedlund from Tron Legacy was going to be Canada. Okay. And... Gary Oldman was going to be somebody in it. I have no idea. Probably the old military dude. Like the main military dude. The colonel? Yeah, the colonel. Yeah. And so, and then I think uh, the last time I heard about them threatening to remake it was uh, Jordan Peele was maybe attached to it. What? It was kind of like, no, Jordan Peele, don't. Like, oh man! I, I think he's too smart to do, to touch something like this. I think he realized that he can't, not that he can't add anything to it though, but there's no reason there's really no reason. I think. Yeah, yeah. Cause like, I cause agree. This was, because what? It was a really fun time period in Hollywood when this was happening. Because, like, Get Out came out, Jordan Peele's mm-hmm. Get Out. And, like, that made, like, an insane amount of money for, like, like it cost nothing. And then, like, and they're like, oh, what's Jordan Peele's next project going to be? And, like, oh, he's, he's, uh, he's hanging around Warner Brothers Akira. Everyone's like, okay, well, it's at least an interesting choice. Yeah. And then, like, and then, like a week later, the Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Shell came out and just bombed with critics, bombed with audiences, had a major, like, uh, what do they call it, like a white lash, where, like, they hire, like, a white actress to play, like, a, a foreign yep. Oh, lead. yeah, I heard and, all like, about that. 
and all the talk of making an Akira live action just went down the drain after the weekend. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. It was really funny because like one came out I think like February like fourteenth, and Ghost in the Shell came out like March seventh. It just fell apart in a month. <laughs> um, but no, so like that, that's just one that's just fascinating. So like no, like that's always how I've looked at this film. Like every time I watch it, I'm like, how would you how would you improve this in live action? And I definitely think it'd be a very interesting interesting film in live action. Like like a lot like even like, like oh, especially yeah. like the end yeah. of the film. You, you have a lot of fun with it, but like outside of like, uh, some of the bizarre elements that are kind of sprinkled through it, throughout it, it's not really a, uh, a psychedelic or a really visually zany film beyond certain points. No, I, I, yeah, I agree with you completely. I wouldn't say it's you know over the top visually. I think it, it's there's points where it needs to be for certain aspects of it. Um, I think the animation is a great example of you know that classic '80s kind of just. Japanese anime style, you know, very similar to Cowboy Bebop, which we got in the early 90s, um, very similar to Spirited Away, which came much later, which what was certainly to some extent influenced by this. Um, and and that is something I want to talk about, something that I, I got in this kind of rewatching the second time I watched it. The artwork, I love the animation and the artwork in this movie. It's fantastic. I think that that's not up for debate. Um, the motion blur in this movie, like the lights and the way they blur when all they're doing their motorcycle chases, chases are just fantastic. Um, but something that I noticed, very much like we talked about with Fantastic Planet, was there was a lot of artwork in this that I think very clearly inspired later things. And the one that I have in mind, because I very recently replayed it, Final Fantasy VII. I, I'm kind of blown away. Is that away. the best one? Is that the best uh, one? Final Fantasy VII is uh, universally accepted as the best one, but it is not my best one. Oh, excuse me. My, my favorite is uh, the hottest of the hot takes, Final Fantasy XII. <laughs> but yes, so there are some shots, there are some scenes from uh, Akira that are very similar to some of the stills you get in Final Fantasy VII. For our audience and for Zach, who I don't know if you've ever seen the kind of, you know, PS1 Final Fantasy games... You move from screen to screen where you really kind of have not a bird's eye view, but an angled overhead view. Uh, and the, the landscape or the setting which you're traversing is just a still artwork. Like it is just still and your character moves around it and can go into buildings and interact with things. And there are some like of these pictures from Final Fantasy VII in the opening of Final Fantasy VII, kind of uh, the Mako reactors and the slums of the city very much similar to a lot of the industrial centers we see in Akira. And I thought that was really, really cool to, to, to get that kind of, you know, artwork carrying over. Um, and I love that type of stuff, you know, and this artwork is fantastic. I mentioned the motion blur. The one other thing I want to mention about the artwork, I loved it so much I even have it starred. We get to see two times in this movie the exterior shot of a hospital. And so the hospital is a giant building. It looks like a skyscraper type of thing. Um, and it's all gold and to represent the windows and all the floors of this is just tons and tons of tiny vertical lines. And the only way you can tell the distinction between the vertical lines are the slight changes in like the hue of gold. And it is beautiful. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the exterior, hosp exterior hospital shot, Zach? No, that, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, I think they show it only two times, um, and one of them is, we'll get into it later, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, 
the first time we see it, I believe, is before we get the scene with the giant teddy bear and the giant rabbit and the giant oh. car. And when it, when he's, like, in the hospital. And so we get an exterior shot, a zoom in. And I don't know. There's got to be, like, 10,000 small vertical lines drawn on this one shot. And it is amazing. I love it. It is absolutely beautiful. That's I, the artwork, Zach. The artwork. Did I, did I go off on a tangent there? No, it's all right. <laughs> Does that answer your original question? I, I only remember what the original question was, so sure. <laughs> Good. We're in the same boat. So yeah, the artwork is fantastic. And that's the whole way through, you know? Um, even at the end, when we get that body horror stuff, it's pretty well drawn. It's pretty well animated. It might not be great to look at, but but it's uh, it's it's pretty well done. Well, I have a question for you. More with the, uh, again, the animation is very well done, especially for late 80s or really again that's again like i said this is a very well put together film i just don't think it's the the pinnacle of the genre like it's made out to yes be. yeah that's not that's not to the film's detriment that's more to society just kind of putting it on a pedestal over the last uh, almost 30 years mm-hmm. or actually i think it is it's the 30 year anniversary of akira it came oh. out in 1988 so yeah you're right july 1988 Whoa, we didn't even plan this. We were close. Anniversary of Kira. Yeah, July uh, 16th, 1988. Woo! We're doing a 30th anniversary of Kira episode. We didn't even plan it. Wow. How do we win it? How do we, like, um, submit this episode for an award? (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, like that that, uh, should get us a nomination, right? (laughs) That's the uh, best stumble into something noteworthy. Nice. Okay. Um, Right. But no, I said the animation is very well done. There really was nothing else like this. But as I was watching this, um, like Rob said, a lot of the stuff, I think one of the biggest things from this film is that this film was borrowed from a lot of things prior to it. And it has been kind of uh, uh, picked, I don't want to say picked clean, but definitely people have picked things from it. Yeah. Like this film is very, I know Rob's never seen the original Blade Runner, but this film has a lot of Blade Runner influences. Uh-huh. Like like the, the blur, the future, again, it takes place in 2019, the same year is the original blade runner takes next place year. yes that's <laughs> next year we got see that'll be perfect when we do our blade runner series next year um <laughs> we're getting to that folks that's another hot take movie for zach but so that's one thing about this movie like as you're watching you're like oh i've seen this before oh i've seen this before and it's in a weird place because like, a lot of things either are when you see that in movies it's either because the movies are lazy or just picking the best elements out of things that came before it or something was kind of like the mold for a novel concept and people kind of just constantly borrowed from it in the interim. Mm-hmm. And as you're watching this, this is a little bit of both. Because, again, there's a lot of Blade Runner in here. And plus, as you watch it, it's just things you pick up. Like, the the whole idea is having a showdown in the middle of a, an arena or, like a, like, a stadium. Like, a very epic place to have a final showdown. Like, that was, like, it's not like today where every Marvel film ends with a giant climactic battle. In 1988, that was a, that was a novel concept, having a giant showdown. Especially on that sort of grand level of a scale. Never mind also trying to do, I, I can't speak to speak for anime of the 80s and prior, but having a violent cartoon or an animated feature was also very unheard of. Because the whole idea is like, like, even though not a lot of foreign animation was exported to US markets and Western countries, the whole idea of something like this being created, and this had a pretty large budget if I uh, understand it correctly. And this did, this was very popular worldwide. It was not a yep. huge success, but considering what it was, it, it was something that that gained a cult following from it. 
It's not really uh, anything odd. We're doing another one of those famous movies in our foreign animation series. <laughs> yeah, we're, kind of, again, we're picking we're picking kind of the hallmarks or the yeah yeah. This is for the first installment. the The next one will be foreign animation after dark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right on. So yeah, the artwork is fantastic. Uh, this is this movie has made waves. Uh, what else can what else do we want to hit at? Um, I think music overall. I would love to talk about. I yeah, absolutely yeah. love the music in this movie. Um, that's something I, I didn't, I'm kind of upset with myself. The first time I watched it when I was bored, I, uh, I didn't really pick up on the music. The second time through, I almost lost my mind. Like, I, there's a part in my commentary where I just, you know, while I was watching the movie, went onto my computer, moved the screen with the movie over, opened the browser on the other, and went and downloaded the Akira soundtrack. <laughs> and really, the main reason I wanted to do that is so we could get the clip in here of... My favorite song in the whole movie, uh, which is now going to be probably one of my favorite songs ever, it's the music during that first giant teddy bear scene in the hospital. So should I describe this scene? Can I jump into it? Describe uh, what the, the nonsense of this, of this hospital scene entails? Please do. Okay, so Tetsuo, after his run-in with the, uh, the wrinkly smurf, he has to go to the hospital because he ran a motorcycle into an alien force field. That's no good. That breaks some bones, even in anime. And while he's in the hospital, he's beginning to develop his powers. And at that point in the movie, you don't understand why, but the the little stuffed animals in his room start to kind of come to life, and they start to walk onto his bed. And when they're little, he grabs them up, and after he grabs them up and they disappear from his hand, he looks and they form from, like, just a bunch of junk and stuff in his room, very reminiscent of what's going to happen to him later in the movie, uh, and they just kind of tower over him. And so basically we have a person in a hospital bed freaking out because there's a giant teddy bear, a giant stuffed rabbit, and a giant... Uh, is it a stuffed car? It's a very malleable car. Yeah. It's like a cartoon, you know, like one of those you know, uh, old Disney cartoon cars, I think, when they like gave cars eyes, that type of thing. And the cars walked on their back wheels and used their front wheels to punch, that type of thing. I don't know if anybody's going to understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, but this whole scene, there's a song that plays. And the song on the soundtrack is called Dolls Polyphony, which makes sense because it's the dolls that are coming after him. And I'm going to do my best impression of the foundation of this song, like the main melody. Uh, it is all, well, it's polyphony, so that describes what it's going to sound like when we actually put the clip in here. But it is all just vocalizations. And it is just layers and layers and layers of people going, Zach, do you want to give it a shot? No, I'm good. You owe me so many impressions at this nope. point. No. You owe me this now, and you owe me Action Hot Dog. I'm keeping track. Oh, God. Did this, did this music stand out to you? This oh, bloop, 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 bloop. Yes, uh, bloop, 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 bloop did stand out to me. Because, again, it's one of the definitely more surreal scenes in the film. Oh, yeah. Where, like Rob already described, we have a little bear 
And okay, not to get off topic with the going back to the bear though. Is this the same bear from the Kanye West album? It looks very similar. I know it, he I know his stronger music video, like it's just straight up like a ripoff of Akira. And yeah, oh, he sorry, does, homage. Yeah, he, I'm sorry. Yeah, he homage. references uh he absolutely right on. He yeah, he so I, that's right, because I recognize the bear. I'm like, wait, is this the Kanye West bear from like two thousand and seven, which was like his like what was it? Uh, symbol for like I guess like an entire summer or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it's yeah. This certainly could have been. Uh, it certainly could have been inspired by this bear. That makes sense. But um, no, so that's definitely one of the parts of the film where you really kind of go, okay, because again, it, it's a weird movie. Like it's fair to say that it's a very everything is heightened. Everything's kind of exaggerated. Nothing, like, you know, like it, there's a real world element to it. Like people get shot. It's like people get shot and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, it's very, yeah, this is yeah. bloody. Yeah, it's it's a very heightened film. So when you see a little bear, because first the bear starts like dancing on his on his bed along with the the rabbit in the car, and then then they eventually become like, like what would you say, the size of like a what ten feet tall, maybe even more. And they and obviously you hear yeah, they uh, what? they fill the room. They like fill the height of the hospital room. Definitely. Yes, and they start like bleeding milk. And they create like, like a milk pool. <laughs> yeah, we don't and, know it's milk at that point, but they do start it. bleeding milk. <laughs> and Tetsuo's like milk. It's milk. <laughs> well, that's, that's gonna be a good clip. <laughs> and so, yeah, so like that was that was one of those things where it was like, okay, like it fits in, and obviously you could see because you have the, uh, the the children are what twenty five, twenty six, and twenty seven are their names. Yeah, yeah, they're experimental. Yep. Yeah, and I know on like Wikipedia they call them the Espers. Are they refer to that in the film? No, I didn't even know that. I didn't read that at all. That's what it says on Wikipedia. I don't know. Maybe I can oh, be at the wrong. Hot, hot damn. Okay. Hot damn. <laughs> and so you have that. It's like that. Again, that's one of the again. It's one of the more surreal elements of the film compared to everything else that's going on. Uh, forget like, again all the violence and all the the powers that some of these characters have. Hmm. It's great. I love that scene. I love that music. The music, you know, makes the scene, I would say. Um, and this time I watched it, it just got stuck in my head. You know, I've just been running around <laughs> my work and apartment going, bloop, 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 I'm looking at pictures of this bear from Akira and the bear from Late Registration, the Kanye album. They're absolutely designed the same way. Like, uh, so, you know, same dark brown fur. Uh, same style on the eyes, same way the ears are designed, where the uh, the center of the ears is tan, like they're not the same color throughout. So I think Zach's right. I think this is, uh, we got a connection right here. For, for any listeners who, who, who don't remember or tried to like scrub ahead in the podcast and skip this nonsense, Zach brought this up. Zach made this Kanye connection. Can I get a breaking new ground sound right here? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this is, no, it's no, no, no. We're taking that one away. We're, it gets getting cut off. We have because, to reverse it. <laughs> you, no, it gets it, it's hard cut. Um, because I remember that, like I, I, I knew the Kanye West strong because that Kanye West song "Stronger" is just like a ripoff of everything. It like overly samples uh, "Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger" by Daft Punk, and it, like all the imagery from that video is just straight up Akira. Like there's nothing original about that song or that video. It's going to be a, a maelstrom of sounds, I think, then. <laughs> okay, good. So, music, done. Music's great. Animation's great. What else can we... What well, else can I was curious we... about the actual film. Is there, as, as I was watching this, is there is there a, 
a, a pro, uh, an antagonist in this film? Is there a bad guy? Who's the bad guy of this film? Uh, that's a good question, Zach. That's a really good question. Well, I think I have, I think I have two answers. I think I have the long answer and the short answer. Okay. Short answer is ourselves. <laughs> I think the humans are the bad guys in this movie. The long answer gets into what I actually think this movie is going for. And, well, I guess, I guess peek behind the curtains. I don't know if we want to get into this now. I don't see any, I don't feel any battery acid spritzed me, but peek behind the Not curtains. Yet. This was this is going to uh, segue or transition into our unsolved mysteries series. I, I was about to do the X Files music, but that's I know that's not the right music, and I don't know the unsolved mysteries music yet. <laughs> I, I haven't bought the vinyl. <laughs> this kind of was proposed to me when Zach brought it and said, you know, the ending of this movie is an unsolved mystery, and it kind of is. Like the ending of this movie doesn't make the most sense, kind of in uh, traditional terms. But I certainly get a certain feeling from this movie and what I think they're trying to present to us. And I don't know if we want to get into that now, if we want to talk about more of the earlier scenes and, and kind of how we get to the ending of, of one of our characters literally screaming, this can't be right. This machine shows it's the birth of the universe. Which should be the, that should be the point of the movie. Because, you know, in like the last five minutes, they drop on us that the scientists have a machine that can detect the birth of the universe. That should be the point of the whole movie. How does it do that? That's crazy. So what do you think, Zach? Do we want to jump into that? Do we want to do some early? You didn't answer my question about the villains. Well, I said ourselves. Oh, oh, okay. That that was the short answer. That was the short answer. The long answer is getting into the end of this movie and what I think it's about. Because I think that's. I think that really is, like, I don't think I, I, can, I can explain why I think it's ourselves unless I put it in the context of this movie. Well, okay, I'm going to take it a little bit like, I know Rob's going to go straight up existential with this, but I'm going to take it a step back. <laughs> and, because, like, as I was watching this, I'm like, who is the bad guy? Because, like, obviously, throughout the film, the colonel's kind of being, like, implied, because he's locking Tetsuo up, he has the three other kids, he has the three other experiments, 25, 26, and 27, and yep. it's like, okay, he's the bad guy. He stages a military coup. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the film, he tries protecting 25, which is the girl, one of all these, uh, as Rob described them, shriveled up Smurfs. And, she, and he tries to protect her. And then as uh, Tetsuo's like becoming a giant cancer baby, he, <laughs> he, 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 she protects the, the colonel. She like teleports him to like a tunnel. And she's like, go in here and don't come out. Yeah. And so and so it's it's a weird film because you think that because then there's like a whole element of this film about like government corruption because there's like a council of government members which gave me like flashbacks to the Phantom Menace. <laughs> but you have like yep. a council of people who decide things who are like more or less uh, ineffective, and you don't like you don't know because like you're watching that council thing and they're like we've given the, you given we given you too much money, Colonel. Blah 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 blah. And earlier in the film, we have like a rebellion, like, like a major component of this film that really kind of doesn't go anywhere, is that there's like a rebellion going on. There's like a, a uh, what would you call it, a resistance movement? 
Yeah, it, it's and it's specifically about the Akira project and and yeah. like and and like the shriveled up Smurfs that the Colonel's working with. But and we never really get any backstory except just accept it. Like there's a, there's people trying to free them because that's we didn't mention it, but that's how we uh, learn at the beginning the shriveled up Smurf that Tetsuo runs into is being kind of you know taken away from that government facility by one of those resistance members. Yeah, it's kind of like. You have this resistance, like you always hear about the government's fighting with this resistance. There's terrorist attacks. It's but it's like it's much like uh, like Total Recall in that way. It's like it's going on in the background. It's never mm-hmm. a focal point of any scene. Yeah, and and so like we have a scene like who's the uh, we have our our female protagonist that's not a shriveled up Smurf. Okay, you, Rob knows all these pronunciations. K key. I think it's just K. K. I think okay. it's a, yeah, K E I. Right. Yes. Yes, we have. Kay. Yeah, but she's the she's the one who gets her shirt ripped off in the beginning. That's and, Kaori. That's Kaori. Oh, that's Kaori. Oh, oh, that's right. Sorry, K is the is the resistance member. Yeah, K is the uh, yeah. K is Canada's mo- not the country. Canada's motivation to uh, follow or, or to follow the plot of the resistance. Yeah, because he keeps he keeps running into her and he has the hots for her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I and hate. So- I actually did not like that about this movie. Like, Tetsuo gets hurt, but Canada, not the country, goes to, like, interrogation by the police. And when he gets free, he's like, I have to chase this woman. That's my motivation. Like, his motivation isn't find my childhood friend. It's chase this skirt. Like, I was like, come on. Like, really? Which is a term that's used multiple times throughout the film. Chase this skirt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that has to do more with... The fact that I like, got the thing about Canada is that I, I, I Canada. I like Canada. You got to say that's my version of that. The country? <laughs> no, not the country. And but with Canada is that he's supposed. I think he's just supposed to be. I don't want to say a dork, but he's kind of just like he's a kid. Like that, that's just what he is. It's like so Tetsuo goes missing. Like in, I would imagine in the world of Neo Tokyo. There's points where this they all went missing at some point. They just turn back up like a few days later. It's kind of like having like an outdoor cat. It's like you lay it out, then come back for a week. It just comes back all of a sudden. It's, it's not the end of the world when it goes missing. And so, so until Tetsuo comes back, his next thing is just he's just gonna follow this girl he has the hots for. He's gonna chase this skirt. And okay. And so I think that's just what because even like again he he becomes. I think that's one thing about the film. You know, I like at the end of the film he becomes much more heroic. And he, he's a little too organized by the end of the film, where he's like he's riding his like uh, the motorcycle, which is probably one of the greatest movie vehicles of all time. It's and, a cannon. It's just, it's just cannon right on the side of it. The camera oh, yeah. company. <laughs> I think it also has the BMW logo on it. Oh yeah, BMW and Cannon are like right next to each other, and probably a bunch of Asian ones that Zach and I don't recognize. <laughs> no, because we are ugly, ignorant Americans. <laughs> but. So you have that, and by the end of the film, like he has like the like what was it like the battery gun? Which yeah, the really beam like they, it shoots a laser beam, and like uh, he steals it from one of the government or the military people. Yeah, because like we were really screaming don't... like "Converge your beams!" Like they scream yeah. that at one point. Yeah, because we, we see people getting shot multiple times throughout this film, but it's not until like roughly three quarters of the way through the film that we see that they have this sort of like. Arsenal, because even there's another laser beam that shows up later in the film. There's like a satellite that like shoots a beam out of the sky. Yeah, Goldeneye. 
Yes. That's Goldeneye, right? Uh, I haven't yes, seen that in years, but I was like, I was like, they got Goldeneye in this movie. That's I should have brought that up before. Something that appears later on in in cinema. Goldeneye, the That's, same fucking concept. <laughs> like I said, a lot a lot's been borrowed from this film, but so you have that though. But think about this: like nobody has any idea how to fight Tetsuo. Like again, like, he overwhelms everybody, and yes. yet Canada shows up. And he just, like, has his little motorcycle, he's riding on the most, like, uneven terrain possible, and he has, like, this battery gun. And the fun thing is that, like, it's a, like Rob said, it's a laser gun, but it actually has, like, a battery console. You have to, like, like, imagine, I guess it's, like, the best way to describe it's, like, Chewbacca and, like, his satchel. You literally have to wear, like, a car battery around your body because apparently it runs out of juice very easily. Yep. And because at oh. one point in the film, I, I, well, I think it's one of the, probably the, my favorite scene of the entire film is that he at one point Canada actually gets a clean shot at Tetsuo, shoots him, and all and he has just a new it's just enough juice in the gun that it just pierces a hole through Tetsuo's shirt and that's it. And yeah. he gets mad. He goes, "What does he?" He's like, "God damn it!" And he's yeah, like, he's, like, he's like, "Damn, battery ran out of juice." <laughs> And I think that's just a great, like, that's one of those moments, like, you have, again, you have this very surreal film, everything is heightened, yet it's clever, like, you always have, like, you see all these movies where the character always has, like, one final bullet, like, they'll have, like, a revolver, and they'll shoot, like, 17 times, and they never run out of bullets. Yet you have a laser gun, and the battery runs out just to the point where it perforates the guy's shirt, and it stops right at that (laughs) point. Doesn't injure him, it just perforates, or just pokes a hole in his shirt. And it won't, again, even later on, like, like, I think it's like a scene later, but there's like his one friend that survives. You have all of his friends that die. His one friend who survives has like his like crappy motorcycle and he's charging the gun with the friend's um, motorcycle. Yeah. I, I again, mean, that's another scene. Like, it, cause that's one thing that's even worth noting too with this film. Like, you always have like action movies and the climax happens like all at once. And yet with this, you have Tetsuo's at the Coliseum or Stadium. And they have like, like a showdown, like all these things happen. They shoot the golden eye ad, they, they shoot golden eye, and it's during the day. Then it becomes dusk, and like everybody goes to their respective corners. Like Tetsuo is still sitting like on like the throne of the stadium for some reason. Yeah. Canada, Kay, and their friend and his friend are like have like, a little bonfire, and he's recharging the gun. And the colonel's off in the corner somewhere doing something else. And I don't <laughs> know what the, the kids, the, the, the shriveled kids, are doing. But they're they're somewhere out there doing their own thing, and then it becomes daylight again, and they go right back to it. It's like I find that amazing. Like in a a film, you have a climax, and it's broken into two different segments, or the action is anyway. Yeah, I um, I noticed that. I thought that was strange. The other thing that got me even before that scene, um, I feel like so much of this movie is climax. Like maybe the last hour and twenty minutes or something, like. I feel like, you know, uh, Tetsuo breaks out of the hospital and starts blowing people up with his mind. And I'm like, okay, shit's hitting the fan. And then there's tons of fighting, tons of fighting, tons of fighting. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, we got to be getting near the end, right? No, uh, Tetsuo hasn't lost his arm yet and made a metal arm that's going to try and root into a stone pedestal and shit (laughs) like that. Like, it just keeps going. And then I'm like, oh, this is getting crazier. And then, like Zach said, he becomes the cancer baby, and it just keeps going and going. I feel like that climax is just elongated to such an extent, and I was totally on board with it the second time I watched it. It kept me going, for sure. 
Well, that's one thing about this one. As I was watching it, I was actually would have preferred less action and more dialogue. Like when, like toward the end of the film, where you have Kanata and Tetsuo like talking on top of like the rubble of like the stadium before he becomes the cancer baby. I'm like, I want more of this. I want more interaction between the characters. I don't want. I, it's like the action is great, and that's probably why this film has resonated so much over the years. But I want more interaction amongst the characters. And I feel that's one thing this film is rather light on. Yes, it, it really does just kind of focus on the convergence of all our characters into this big, you know, arena type of thing. Uh, and then just how it all goes down and how really, you know, they can't stop Tetsuo from his or Tetsuo's powers from overtaking them. That type of stuff. Like it's yeah, worth, noting, I, I that, it's worth it. noting that the last like like ninety percent of the dialogue for the last like forty minutes of this film is Tatsuno! Kanada! It's, it's just that. It's just them yelling their names at each other. It's like again, I guess it, it's cool. Like it's a really clever action sequence. Like this is why as I'm watching, I'm like, if somebody wanted to do live action, it'd be really a lot of fun to have like a Canada on like a mo- like his motorcycle in live action with the battery gun just like running around like taking shots at Tetsuo. Like that that's a, that'd be a fun sequence to see in live action. Because oh. it just there's just so much going on. But like there's certain moments like Rob said like you have uh, the, the 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 toys that bleed milk. Like I don't like I don't know how in live action how's the song go? Blue 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 but there's more layers. I can't do like that's why I'm trying to get Zach because then if we had two people, we could add to the layers and make it sound cooler. All right, all right. One, two, three. That's the new intro. That's the new outro. That's the new post credit scene. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so there's a, like, this is a dense film. I don't think you can really comprehend everything that's going on on this in one viewing. It is a multi-layered film. There's new things to find each time you watch it. Like one thing I hadn't picked up on, going back to my question about who the villain of this is, is that when you have uh, Kay's handler in the Resistance is Ryu, and yet we see one point like Ryu talking to this man that has like very rat-like features. He has like two buck teeth. Yeah, you're like, who's is he talking? And the guy's like wearing a suit, and you're like, okay, who's he talking to? Then you see that this guy's part of like the Jedi Council or whatever you want to call it of the government. Yeah, yeah. And you see like all these things, like all these different like factions that we've seen at this point, like talking. And you're like, oh, okay, because again, at this point, you think the Resistance are the good guys, the government's the bad guys because they're experimenting on children. They've kidnapped Tetsuo. (laughs) And as the film goes on, when you when uh, the Colonel like implements like martial law and. I, I would say successfully implement a coup. And it, I, it, didn't, it, I didn't think about it as martial law or a coup. I thought it about it as like the most childish reaction ever. Because with the subtitles I have, it basically goes down like, the Supreme Council wants to arrest you, Colonel. And he goes, they want to arrest me? He shoots the guy. Arrest them! <laughs> oh, I didn't have that. I, I, I must have had better... Uh... Better subtitles. I didn't oh, have my that. subtitles made it sound, made it seem so comical. Like he's just like, they can't arrest me. Arrest them, and and he does arrest them. <laughs> but, really, but, but it's worth noting though is that we really don't even see that. No, we only get to see the uh, the, the, rat sui- the suicide. Right, he eats all those pills in the alleyway or something. 
Yeah, or I think he needs the pills because at one point doesn't because he's we see him because again this is the point where you kind of realize wait maybe the government is the bad guy oh. because or not the bad guy not not like the, the colonel but like the oh god the, the bureaucracy yeah yeah the Jedi Council's the bad guy again like I said I think this goes back to the Phantom Menace because there's so much there's so many movies this uh, that have stolen from this mm-hmm. and so like that's what I'm thinking though because like again the colonel survives he's not a bad guy in that sense because we see the Rat Man. And he's clearly aligned with the resistance. And when uh, everything hits the fan, he's putting like wads of ca- comically just shoving wads of cash and like <laughs> yeah. bonds yeah. and like everything in there, and like trying to like sh- like sit on the briefcase and make it closed. And that again, and, and the resistance is wiped out more or less because we even see the point in the film where Ryu and all of K's friends are killed. And then like there's like the oh god, Rob probably has a term for this. Charlatans, I guess, it, like all the like religious charlatans are like, oh, like the guy who's like has like the I don't know what's how dreadlocks, but he's like the he looks like Uncle Gra- Uncle Grandpa kinda. from from Perfect Hair Forever. Yes, you Uncle Grandpa part? has like one tuft of hair, doesn't he? What doesn't Uncle Grandfather is like most? He has like just a little. He has like oh, you think no, of Quaffio? I don't know. He has, he has, he has like, the same like face though. Like there's one. Cause I know it's at one point in the film where you have like all the. Like uh, resistance people, like walking across the bridge with Tetsuo, they're like, "He is our god. He is our savior." Yeah, like, yeah, okay, Tetsuo, yeah. Like the Tetsuo, zealots. And there's and stuff one like guy that. that's made out to be like he looks more like the Ayatollah, like the Ayatollah Khomeini. He looks okay. like he has he has that going. Like imagine an Asian Ayatollah Khomeini. Like that's why I think of. Okay, because okay. he has like the dark sunglasses on, like uh, Uncle Grandfather has. Ah, oh, okay, I see that. Comparison. And, like, he's being okay. carried, like, on, like, uh, like some sort of, I don't know what it's called, but he's being, like, carried. And, like, Tetsuo, like, yeah. blows up the bridge, and all these people go into the, like, into the water, and they're presumably killed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's worth knowing that during Tetsuo's, like, rampage from the hospital to the uh, arena, like, he just, like, wipes everybody out. He wipes out the resistance. He wipes out the government, like, like uh, army. And that's, I think that's part of what the film is going for, especially the whole end where, again, this is part of Robsy get into it. But, like, again, he's the rebirth of, like, a, he's the birth of a new universe, Tetsuo, of his power. Yeah, the, what, there is no way they're having the Olympics in Tokyo after what fucking went down at the end of this movie. <laughs> like, Actually, with how many people died? It's There's worth no noting. way. Well, is, well okay. the arena's underwater now. Oh, okay, okay. That's in the film. Yeah. That's what happens. Like, isn't it? Yeah, like, because the they water pours in. Yeah, because they like because uh, Tetsuo brings up Akira's, you know, one twentieth of a basis basis point Kelvin room to, to a regular temperature, right? And it like sinks in the whole stadium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, no Olympics, not happening. Well, it's worth noting that the real twenty twenty Olympics are happening in Tokyo. I think they're going to cancel it after our review. We're oh, gonna. We're going to war the world this. People are going to think that we're talking about something that's real. (laughs) Well, I figured in 2019 uh, we're going to see a cancer baby destroy the the stadium that they're going to hold the Olympics in. That could also happen. Uh, And then we could say that we tried to warn everybody in 2018. Exactly. (laughs) For the 30th anniversary of this film. That is a really interesting point. I I, I did, of course— read about that you know when when they announced that the 2020 olympics were actually going to be in tokyo there were a bunch of conspiracy theorists theorist people going oh my god akira predicted the future just and like the simpsons and just family like guy the simpsons in and south park and nostradamus <laughs> and the bible code and the bible code spoiler alert i don't know if i want to get into the ending right away even though we do have to talk about the ending 
I do want to mention, I think, one or two scenes before we hit up the ending. Uh, one, you had to know I was going to bring up Zach. Voice actors. Uh, no, no, I'm actually not doing voice actors. What? Because, because I watched the subtitle version. When has that ever stopped you? Uh, uh, this time. <laughs> but something I want to talk about, a scene that I absolutely loved as a teacher myself we get a scene where someone is slapping their students and they scream discipline after every slap. <laughs> got it, you got it. I had to give a shout out to that scene. I can't do that as a teacher. I don't often want to do that as a teacher. But man, if I could... If I could, it would go down just like it goes down in Akira. <laughs> in terms of, there's another scene like that in the film earlier on where like you have the, the police or the riot control police with like the tear gas and like one guy like, there's like all the clouds of tear gas and one guy like comes out of the tear gas and there's like a riot cop there. And he shoots the guy in the face with the tear gas. Oh, it's like point blank. Yeah. Yes. It's I in think the face. I, he shoots him like in the face. With yeah. The I make a point. I make a mention of that in my commentary. I'm like, oh, direct hit tear gas or something like that. <laughs> Whoa. Point blank tear gas shot. That is a good one. Yeah. I mean, you know, violence. The violence is off the charts in this movie. Not just the human violence, but the, um, like we've already mentioned, the, the environmental violence. Like, you know, Tokyo gets leveled almost, especially when they get Goldeneye in the mix, which just destroys everything. And then when Tetsuo jumps up into space and takes control of Goldeneye, um, when it got to a certain point in the movie when there was so much violence going on and so much destruction of property, I had one question. I don't know how much you're familiar with this, Zach. Have you ever heard of the Tokyo subway sarin gas attack? Uh, not top of my head, no. No, okay, so, um... Basically, when I saw this movie, which took place in Tokyo, a lot of it took place underground in Tokyo, I was like, this had to be before the subway sarin gas attack. So if anyone doesn't know, in 1998, uh, a, a cult in China, a pretty big cult, they carried out a, an attack on the Chinese subways where they released sarin gas. And it only killed 12 people. But sarin gas is one of the worst gases, you know, in existence. And I think it injured like over a thousand people because they released it in the tunnels of the subways under Tokyo. And I was like, there's no when I was watching this movie, I was like, there's no way this was after that attack that they would let something like this be represented in the media. Because that was also a big thing. Like after this happened, they the Chinese Japanese government kind of, you know, as they usually do restricted uh, what they wanted their people to see and not see and, and things along those lines. But if you, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about with the sarin gas attack. It's been represented in media and in a lot of different ways. It's a really interesting story, kind of the, the cult and what they've done before and what they've done since. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anyone watches this movie and is aware of this, you have to think of that. I think with the amount of people that die and the amount of just decimation that occurs of, of public infrastructure. Um, oh, oh, here's a good one. I don't know why I don't have a star next to this in my notes. The cuts in this movie, Zach, like the scenes, the, the transitions between scenes, I found them rather rough, rather hard, rather abrupt, I should say. Like, 
we would, uh, you know, we would get a, a transition in scenes and very, on many instances, the music would just hard cut with the visual transition. So, you know, we would switch over from a quiet scene to Tetsuo doing something and it would just begin with a blaring whomp of the music or something like that. And a few of them really jarred me. Did you notice that or did you think of that at all? Or did you get that experience? Um, like going from light to dark, like not just the sound, but, you know, a lot of like the sewer scenes with the uh, resistance, they would be in a, a dark setting. It would cut really abruptly to light outside. Uh, they would do that. They would do the sound stuff. It, it, it caught me off guard a few times. I, that might be indicative of the whatever your version you're watching. I think I think oh. that sounds like either because again this has been released so many times by so many different distributors. So I would imagine that certain versions, like the one I know, the version I watched was a THX version where they 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 they, they, they oh god would be the right word optimize the sound levels so you don't have that sort of level jarring just from one thing to the other. Okay, because so I've gone back to the scene with the colonel where he's like, "Were you telling me?" You're going to arrest me. Arrest them. Yeah. That's not the subtitles I had. So I think I, because I know my version of the DVD is like THX, blah, 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 certified. And it's like a 20th anniversary, like remaster, or no, 25th anniversary remaster or something like that. Okay. And I think that's, um, that's what it was. I think, I think you have mm. a, a cut that's not as uh, polished as it could be. So I have the, um, I have the uh, the Hulk Hogan version, and you have the uh, the oh fuck the uh, whoever's in your Gremlins movie, John Wayne. John Wayne, yeah, I got we got the different versions again. Is what you're saying? Not different versions, but I think one that's much more polished. In. This because also okay, this because one okay. version's newer doesn't make it more polished. It's just yes, whoever yes, whoever yes. again released it definitely put more time and effort into it and money versus others. Okay, okay. Well, I, I didn't encounter that. I guess I just have to keep collecting different versions of this movie and keep watching them until I find the best one. Just like Gremlins 2. Absolutely, just like Gremlins 2. If there's anything else you want to talk about, let's do it. Other than that, I I think I want to get into the unsolved mysteries aspect of what the hell happens in this movie. Before we get into the unsolved aspect of this movie, what the hell happened, it's one thing going back to just uh, the... The legacy, you know, as Wikipedia calls it, and even a couple of things I picked up on this film, like I said, Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. Even like in the Force Awakens, I picked up like even when the soldiers are coming out of like the drop ships or the helicopters. There's a very same feeling from the Force Awakens when the stormtroopers pour out. But no, like one of the things I picked up on um, from like Chronicle. Did you ever see Chronicle? I didn't, but I've heard of it for sure. Okay, and Fantastic the Fan- Four Stick, the remake they did a few years back, the, a lot of that is borrowed from Akira. Like, there's a scene in the Fantastic Four where Doctor Doom is walking through like a bunch of just, like medical like laboratory stuff, and he's just blowing people's heads up. Okay, very, which is very Tetsuo esque. And yeah. then Chronicle, a char- like all the characters are there's three characters that are given like superhero abilities or special powers, and one of them just goes completely kind of like. Uh, power hungry and just starts oh, destroying okay. stuff again very very tetsuo-esque and there's a bunch of things like that again like i said it's all over the place again blade runner um the, like, i know people bring the matrix into this they're like oh bullet time's just like this no lot just how the colors are sure sure yeah but, but i think the matrix is uh very uh borrows very liberally from anime in general not definitely def- definitely but like i said even like there's a couple things i haven't this like inception borrowed from from this I, yeah, I, I, I don't see that. Do you see that? 
I could see that a little bit. Uh, not really in, in, in the visuals, mostly, um, but kind of... You know what? I would say the ending. That ending with like those weird sequences of flashbacks, and you're getting the voiceovers of the... Um, of the shriveled uh, Smurfs. I almost said shriveled gremlins. <laughs> shriveled Smurfs. Just the way that was layered and stuff reminded me of kind of that ending of Inception when it's the whole, you know, the going through uh, limbo, whatever the fuck it was called. Man, it's been a while since I've seen Inception. Yeah, I could see Inception a little bit. I get that feeling. Okay. But other than that, go ahead, Rob. What's our unsolved mystery? Okay, well... Well, Zach, when, like I said before, when Zach posed this to me, he was like, well, this should be our transition into Unsolved Mysteries, because the ending of this is somewhat of an Unsolved Mysteries. And I agree, it is. This is a very kind of, what the hell are we supposed to think? And Zach got the general gist of it before. And I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said, Zach, that Tetsuo, his power just kind of keeps bubbling over and over and growing and growing until he becomes the, the creation of his own universe. Or a universe, or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I would say that's like a kind of good general one-liner, or a gist of what happens at the end. But I, I think that when you get that idea, and I think I really needed a second viewing to get this, because that was in my first viewing, the end of the movie, I was like, oh, that's a pretty neat concept, that, you know, he, he becomes too great for this world, he starts another. Seeing the whole movie with that in mind made me kind of think of everything in that light. And I really liked the way that they presented it. And I really kind of liked the way that they built up to that point. Um, I really see this movie as a reflection on, on two big things. So one is free will. We're going to get to that. I asked Zach a very important question at the end of our Cowboy Bebop episode. And now we're going to get to hear Zach's answer. Zach's probably scrambling to think of what question it was. <laughs> uh, so a long free time ago. Free will. I definitely think this movie has a lot to do with free will. Uh, it also has to do with ennui. You ever hear ennui? E-N-N-U-I. You familiar with that term? Nope. Existential boredom. It's like when you're sitting there and, you know, you ever, you ever have those moments where you're just sitting there and you're doing anything and you realize that whatever you're doing is just literal you're wasting time till you die. That's what everything we do is. How do we answer that as humans? How do we answer that existential boredom? That's ennui. And I see this movie as a reflection on ennui and free will. Do we have free will? Whether or not we have free will, can we satisfy our existential boredom? And to tie this into something that might make a little more sense or be a little more tangible, uh, I really think this movie is a, a very modern, a very updated telling of the concept or the story Behind Flatland. Do you remember Flatland, Zach? The book? Nope. No, you never read Flatland? That was a that was a middle school thing for me. They made us read Flatland in middle school. Um, so the concept of Flatland is every character is in two dimensions. That's where we begin. Every character is a shape. There's circles. There's squares. There's triangles. They all live in their two dimensional plane. But then one day, our main character, who I think is a triangle, uh, encounters this circle. But this circle is kind of above him. And that's what this whole story gets into, is that all of our characters live in two dimensions. What happens when a, when a being from three dimensions encounters our universe? And of course, on the, the basic foundational level, we get projections. You know, if you shine a light at a sphere, you see a shadow. A three-dimensional thing projects a two-dimensional shadow. That is the gist of Flatland. How do different beings that live on different planes of existence, how do they interact with other planes of existence? 
That's what I see this movie as. I think Akira, this being that we don't really see in the movie, is just referenced a lot. I think Akira is this being from a different dimension, maybe one higher dimension. And it's kind of come into contact with our existence, bringing all of these weird powers, bringing all of this destruction and devastation, and bringing forth all of this all of these things we don't understand as humans. And that is kind of what this movie gets at. What do we do with this technology, these abilities, uh, the experiments, 25, 26, 27, those characters, you know, those are uh, what humans have done with the Akira genes and the Akira cells that they've harvested to instill them into humans and or to other uh, experiments and things like that. And so, that's the general gist of what I feel about this movie, but I think this movie goes a little farther than Flatland, and it doesn't just say that there's different dimensions residing uh, separately and connectedly from each other. I really think that this movie says that everything we see is a Petri dish, so everything we see in Neo-Tokyo is literally just a controlled environment, something that's been growing for years, and Akira is something that had been placed in there by an outside observer in a greater dimension. And when that power gets too great, when Tetsuo cannot control what Akira has done to him, when humanity, when this Petri dish starts to contain something that grows too big, what happens? It gets removed from that Petri dish, moved to another to start its own growth. The beginning of a new universe. Okay, so Zach, are you still with me? That's my big tie-in into what I think this movie was about, okay? I agree with the part at the very end. Okay, good. I good. I'm glad I tied it back Petri, together. Petri dish part is clever. I like that. Because isn't Akira Akira is a little boy in the uh, film? Yeah. So yes, Akira is like visualized in that big white explosion of Tetsuo as a little boy at the end. Before that, Akira is just parts, just body parts that are yes. chopped up for science. So yeah. So that's why you know I'm thinking that Akira is. You know, that that goes back to what I said about the projections. Let, let's say for a second that Akira is a god. Akira is this extra-dimensional being that is so powerful, more powerful than any other human. We can't comprehend it, but it comes to us in this smaller projected form of a child. That's how I would explain that. That's what I took that childlike representation as. Not that Akira is a child, but that's the only way that it can represent itself to this Petri dish of Neo-Tokyo. But at the same time, isn't there a line of dialogue in the film where I forget which one of the three kids is saying it, but they're like, we can't contain Tetsuo. Akira can barely contain Tetsuo. And that's, because again, I, I would imagine it's, it's, again, unless Rob has his own interpretation of it, I think it's meant to be ambiguous. Because again, it's the fact that man is meddling. They keep obviously refer to Akira and the, these powers as godlike. Yes. And the yes. me- and the human meddling into godlike powers and how how to uh, harness them. Mm-hmm. And I know there is that one point in the film where they say, "We can barely contain Tetsuo. Never mind. Uh, even uh, even Akira's having a hard time containing him." And I don't know. Is Tetsuo supposed to be a higher power than even them combined? Because mm-hmm. because even at the end, because again, I'm stealing a lot from Wikipedia right here. <laughs> but even when the three kids are talking. They say, because obviously Canada, Q. Not the country? 
<laughs> Thank you. Um, Canada goes, obviously, the one kid tried, I forget the, I forget the numbers of the, of the two boys, goes to try to stop him from running into the cancer baby, which is now mm-hmm. Tetsuo. Yep. And Canada just throws him over the side, says, he got my friend. And, oh, yeah, that's so and the, funny. And the three kids are like, uh, tells the one that he just threw over him, like, like, don't go in there, you won't come back. And it's like, it's not his fault. And so they go after there, and the, and the, and the, the other boy in uh, 25 sit there and talk to each other, like, we can save him, but we won't be able to come back. Yeah. And that's, and that's just kind of like what it is, though. It's like, so we can sit there, bring kind of the back into this dimension, but, it, but at the cost of our own ability to do so. And, I th- and that's obviously, and obviously the, the end of the film is that uh, Tetsuo is now the birth of his own universe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is obviously stated by Rod's favorite line of dialogue in the film. <laughs> but, they have a they have a machine that can measure that. <laughs> yes, and, and it's so compact it can fit into this into a little RV. I would bring that machine with me everywhere I went, just just in case some <laughs> something gave birth to a universe. <laughs> but no, I, I think that, and I think that's one of the things that why that's why this film resonates beyond just the uh, novelty of its animation and its designs. That there is some lofty. Philosoph- uh, uh, yeah, philosophical yeah. themes here that that aren't other types of science fiction. Yes, and I really like that about it. You know, like I said before, I just love when movies make me think. Movies make me learn. Um, so everything I said already, you know, that was that's the idea that I had about what I thought this movie was throwing at me. I really like that idea. That's a great thought experiment just to play around with it. And of course, that's why. I came up with the great question I asked Zach at the end of our Cowboy Bebop episode. You know, let's say, let's just assume, put yourself in that mindset, um, we do live in a Petri dish. You know, they're throwing away, uh, whether you think religion, true or false, afterlife, true or false, blah, 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 just for the sake of argument, let's say we know we're living in a Petri dish. We know that there is some higher power controlling us. It's like that Rick and Morty episode where they go into his battery and the the people... Yeah, and the people in his battery made their own people in their own battery, that type of thing. Like, let's just assume that's the case. Then you have to ask the question, well, you know, it's a, it's a fun question. It's come up from things other than this. How do we know we have free will or do we have free will? But I don't want to just ask that question. And I didn't just ask that question. I want to pose a more interesting question, which I did to Zach in our Cowboy Bebop episode. The question I want to pose is, can you, as a human being, prove to another human being that you've had free will in your past? That's the question. This is a wildly interesting question, I think. You know, I, whenever you talk about free will, just to get this out of the way, whenever you have any conversation about free will, uh, the, the kind of the easy answer is, you know, uh, kind of the easy obnoxious answer is free will exists because I'm not punching you in the face right now. Like, that's stupid, though. That's not an argument. Uh, to get a, get away from that completely, because I, I think if we ask the question, how do you prove you have free will in the moment, that's much more difficult, uh, much more difficult to talk about, not to prove, but to discuss. I want to talk about the past. I want to say, you, Zach, you know your history. You know everything that's happened to you in your life, hopefully. Can you prove to me that you have had free will before this moment? What do you think? Oh, guys, this is more Rob gobbledygook. This is a great question. Oh, God. <laughs> Zach, you had, you had like a week in a time warp to think of. <laughs> <laughs> a week in a time warp. Um, 
have everyone in the past. Well, how how can you how can you answer that though? Because everything in the past. Okay. 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 Here we go. Here we go. That's a good. That's a good way to start. How can you answer that? Let's let's break it down. My first question would at be the time. Okay. Okay. This is my answer. Sure. At the time, I did. That's it. At the time, okay, is that your okay, proof? Ask, ask ask the question again. Can you prove to me you have you've had free will in your past? And my answer is at the time I did. Okay, but that's not proof. That's just an opinion. I did know at the time I did at the well, time. Well, can you well can you prove that to me? I made a decision based on all the evidence I had at the time. But can you prove, Zach? I have wings. That that's the same thing. I can't prove that. Can you prove that at the time you made a decision of your own free will? Can you prove that to another person? That's the question. If we're get, if we're gonna make sure everything every statement ever made needs. Uh, indisputable proof then nothing is concrete then everything is lucid oh okay 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 well that's not if a you, rabbit hole need, I want. no 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 okay no no, no, no. i don't want to go down that rabbit hole yes yes then we, nothing no, can, nothing is set in stone evident can you sorry let me rephrase then can you convince me can you convince me you've had free will in your past convince you oh no absolutely not that's a better way to phrase the question other people other that's, people maybe but not rob that's a great no. So before we go on further into this question, that is a great reason just to discuss this because Zach interpreted what I meant as proof very differently than what I intended as proof. It should have been convinced. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, as a mathematician, we could talk for hours about what is. Can you prove anything? No, you absolutely cannot because everything starts from assumptions. But good. Can we convince another human? that we have free will in our past. Zach says no. Zach says no. Okay. I I think I would have to say no as well. But I have a little more I want to talk about with this. This is the thing that comes up. Zach asked it before. How would you answer this question? How do you answer this question? I would say let's break it down and start by saying, well, what evidence would I provide? Let's say I was trying to convince you, Zach. Let's say I was trying my hardest to convince you that I have free will in my past. I would think I need to present you with something. I need to present you with some type of material that you could use as evidence. And assuming we have access to everything perfectly, I think the first thing I can think of would just be replays of my memories. Those are moments that I know that I have had free will, much like Zach said, in that moment I made a decision of my own volition. But that's not evidence, you know? If I showed you, if Zach, if I showed you a two-hour movie of my memories... You wouldn't think I had free will. You would think it's a movie. That's the same thing as we don't watch Sicario or, or uh, Akira, and we think these characters have free will. Oh, man. Does everybody know at home I have no control over this? I try to rein him in, but he just goes off. I, I, I try, folks. To Rob, to Rob's student that he, that's listening to this that likes it when someone argues with him, sometimes I, I, I just can't. You know what? Sometimes he's, he's dug himself so far down the hole. It's I good. try, so folks. We need, I so try. that's. So that's the next thing. I mean, I think it's the first immediate reaction is, well, yeah, let me give you just a play-by-play of my memories. But that's not good enough. No. That is not good enough. So what else can we do? And I don't know if there is anything else we can do. And this is why free will's tricky. The last point I want to make, this is why free will is really tricky uh, because something that we haven't gotten to on this podcast, but you better believe we're going to go. And if you, if you know me, I'm going to talk about forever. Uh, this all stems from the fact we have no way to study the human brain. That's a fact. 
Every study we've ever done of the human brain is absolutely flawed. Uh, it's good. We know something about the brain. We know what it looks like. We know what color it is when you cut someone's skull open. Uh, we know what parts to stab to make people not be able to think anymore. But everything else, we really know absolutely nothing about. And you know why? Because we're measuring it with our own brains. You can't, you can't prove to anybody else that you have free will because they have free will. Because they think they have free will. That's like, Zach, if I handed you a ruler, if I handed you an, a piece of paper that was clearly longer than an inch, and I said, Zach, this is one inch, use all of your measurements with this ruler, all of your measurements are going to be wrong. That's the same thing of us using our brains to study other human brains. We have no way to do it. We probably won't ever have a way to do it. And it's just, it's just the way it goes. It's just the way she goes. Something to think about. Interesting thought experiment. Think of evidence to prove or convince, as we're now saying, uh, that you have had free will in your past to other people. This is our second, I think, it's our second thought experiment on cinemodities. Our first being, can R2-D2 speak a language? Folks, this is a great Akira conversation. I, before I start, Rob, we should really sit there, um, talk about the movies more. Hey, and, uh, hey, I put I'm this glad. all at the end. I did, I did, we did good movie discussion. This was all at the end, and it this stems is, from the movie. It's great. This is almost as bad as the America's Got Talent 10-minute rant. Almost. <laughs> okay, Zach, that is, that is it for me and Akira. I recommend it. Uh... I, I'm I'm tempted to say I would I would probably put this on as a late night movie, especially the uh, a version without subtitles, like just the original Japanese dialogue. Put that on late at night; that'd be great. Like the body horror stuff. I think it's a cinemodity too. I really like it the way it's put together, all that stuff. Um, so what else we got? Snack, right? Uh, yeah, because I I would say the I would say the it's I'm gonna yeah I'd say it's a cinemati and it's a late night movie. But I would say the English dub. Oh yes, that's right. I have to check out the English dub. I have to watch that for myself. Um, I'll get on that because now that I really liked it, watching this again, you know, I'm ready to check out a different version of it. Right. And on. please and please try to get a copy that's either a, a Blu-ray version or a THX certified version. Okay, I can't get the uh, I can't get like the bootleg version, like the, the sketchy bootleg. version that somebody ripped off their like a uh, co- bootleg copy from like 1997. I'm thinking of like uh, the the Be Kind Rewind homemade version. You ever see that? Oh, movie? Be, okay. Be Kind Rewind, where they make their own versions of all the films. Like, can I get that? The uh, the that, Jack what's Black. That, what's that most... called? Isn't, it, isn't that isn't that called something when you when you try to redo a movie like that? Isn't that called something? There's a term oh, when you like try yeah. to like, re- re- like poorly or very uh, crudely remake a-, a movie. Yeah, I oh yeah, it's 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 parody, but it's it's a special subset of parody. I'm, I can't think of the word. Okay, maybe we'll maybe we'll put that in an update. Hey kids, Rob and Zach were trying to think of the term "sweeted" or "sweeting" a movie. That's gonna hey, be a hey kids, hey, Rob kids. wrong. <laughs> I'm surprised Zach doesn't edit that in uh, or just have it playing on loop in the background every time I talk. Like I start a sentence and just in the background, hey kids, Rob's wrong. Hey kids, Rob's wrong. Hey kids, Rob's wrong. <laughs> That's go this everybody know home. That's my ringtone for when Rob texts me. Hey kids, Rob's wrong. It's the only way Zach uh, can can stomach continuing to record with me. Is that he, he can gain a new ringtone of me saying I'm wrong. <laughs> every, week, every week's a different inflection. Oh, All right, so yes. what food do we eat during this, Rob? 
Oh, I thought this was, I thought this was a tough one. I thought this was slightly difficult. Um, because, you know, I, whenever I watch this type of stuff, I, I want to go with kind of, uh, you know, the, the straight up, you know, ramen or something would be good. Get some sushi, get some traditional Japanese cuisine. I think when you're going, you like old school, original Japanese, not original, but, you know, classic Japanese anime. I think that's good to go to. Um, the other thing that I thought of was you ever microwave a, a marshmallow peep? No. Okay, so if you microwave if you microwave a marshmallow, it doesn't have to be a marshmallow peep, but I think that fits best for this movie. If you microwave a marshmallow, it expands. Like, it, it expands a lot. Like, like get ready to clean up your fucking microwave because it's blowing up with marshmallow. So the, the gist is, if you blow up or a, a, a microwave a marshmallow peep that looks like a little uh, duck or rabbit or whatever uh, one you get, it just, like, gets big and contorts itself very much like Tetsuo does in this movie. So I think that you should just jam a bunch of marshmallows into your microwave, throw it on high for 60 minutes, put the movie on, and it's, by the time Tetsuo starts to expand, you're going to have your marshmallows expanding in your own place of residence. And if you like marshmallows, which I do, you could eat it. I'm a little disappointed. I figure Rob was in like, take your, take your newborn baby, stick it in the microwave, and put it on like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to put a disclaimer saying, no, babies are not microwave safe. They go in the ocean. <laughs> they only go in the ocean. They're ocean wash only. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, those are my two snacks. Um, so good old, if you love any uh, Asian cuisine, go for that. That's always a good snack. Uh, otherwise, just destroy your microwave with marshmallow to represent or recreate the body horror that we get to see in Akira. Your turn. Uh, your turn, well, snack master. I don't know if I have a good one for this. I really can't. Um... It's tough, isn't it? This one was tough for snacks, right? They say they make it. There's only really one food reference in this, and they're like. Neo Tokyo is like an overripe fruit, just waiting to drop. Do they even mention a specific fruit? They just say overripe fruit, right? Yeah, they don't. They don't give a specific one. Mm. What's your favorite fruit, then, Zach? I don't know. Like, I would imagine like an overripe fruit is con- like an overripe fruit would be a. Uh, fr- I keep saying fruit. Fruit <laughs> would be like fruit loots. Fruit loots. <laughs> no fruit loots. Fruit loops. Fruit loots. Fruit loops. Fruit, no, fruit loops. Like you switch the T and the P. <laughs> fruit loops. No, fruit oh, loops. I said it right that time. I fruit said it loops. wrong by saying fruit it right. Loops. What have we done to ourselves, Zach? <laughs> See, it's all that nonsense about um, the future and knowing your past and all that sort of nonsense. See, no, this is why people are going to love this podcast because literally within the span of five minutes, we went from existentialism to switching letters in a brand name. That's golden right there. <laughs> Rob, student, I feel so sorry for you. You know how he said he wanted to punch kids in the face like when they said things? I can imagine the feeling is mutual. Yes, they want to talk back to me, and Zach is their surrogate. (laughs) (laughs) I am am the uh, champion for Rob, students. One day, Zach's just going to, like, let loose, and he's going to spew out more curse words than he's ever said in his life and just rail on me for, like, 20 minutes, and it's just going to be, like... That's going to be the episode title. Zach yells. <laughs> Zach, Zach yells. Zach yells, colon, uh, a redemption for Rob students. <laughs> Day of the student. <laughs> Day of the student daughter. 
Uh, student student Dotto, I love it. Okay, uh, real. Okay, so well, you didn't answer my question. I would like to know, Zach. What is I your think like a fr- I th- imagine like a moldy fruit. It's, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a. Well, oh, overripe God. doesn't imply moldy. Well, I would imagine it's getting pretty close to that. Well, yeah, it's in the process of getting there. But I mean, you ever eat like a like a pear, and it's like a little or an apple, and it's like a little sandy, like it's got that weird sandy texture. Like that's a little. That's like oh, that's like way overripe, but that's not moldy or anything like i would imagine like, oh i'm trying to think of like imagine like a pomegranate that's like soggy but it's very delicious it's like it's like it's it's okay okay because i'm trying to think like, I, i've had oranges recently they're very sweet but like they're falling apart like, you cut it like you like peel the skin off and it's just like falling apart in your hand it's like a mess to eat like that's kind of like how i think of this movie imagine like an orange it's sweet it tastes good but the texture just like fall falls apart in your hands you can't get a firm. It tastes good, but you can't get a firm grasp on it. What about maybe a? Uh, so I like that. I like that. But what about also a mushy banana? Mm, that can be off-putting to some people. So maybe. Okay. I well, I I'm allergic to bananas. I haven't eaten a banana in years, so I don't know. Oh God, not the fucking uh, banana rant again. <laughs> what? There's no rant about bananas. I'm just allergic to. Them. Okay, I want everybody to know this. When Rob and I first started, like, like testing the ground, like, like feeling out how this would go, like, I would suggest foods, and like, I suggested like twelve foods in a row, and Rob's like, Zach, I'm allergic to this. And, like, I just kept going through all these things, and every single one of them he was allergic to. At one point, I'm like, the snack should be water, pure filtered, like spring water, like, like, like all these things. And Zach, he's like, Zach. How can you not know? I'm allergic to water. I insist on drugs and alcohol. And it's like, and I'm like, oh my god, like, like, like and Rob and I went to high school together for years, and yet somehow, like, all these food allergies he's had for his entire life, but never came up. All the times he ate at my house or we were at restaurants, never applicable. Yet somehow it came out of nowhere all of a sudden. We'll have to dig up some clips. I'm allergic to two things. <laughs> no, he's allergic to everything. It's like I, I, I gave like three, I, I, whatever, it was like 15 snacks in a row, and he was allergic to all of them. If you go back and listen to every Cinematis episode, there's a clip that was edited out of me proposing a snack, and, and it ends with the Rob phrase of, But Zach, I'm and allergic then, to and then I go into here. And then I go into anaphylactic shock. Exactly. <laughs> Then Rob goes to a restaurant. He has like twelve EpiPens. Like, here's your first course, sir. Oh, and here's your EpiPen as, as the chaser for that. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So, so how are we going to ep- end this episode, Rob? Do you even have to ask? Bleep, boop, bleep, bloop. Backwards. Oh, be- that backwards too. It's probably going to sound the same, which is why I really want to do it. Like it's gonna, it's instead of like bloop 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 bloop, it's gonna be bloop 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 bloop.
Ah, <laughs> <laughs>